This morning, we are starting in a study of the book of Romans. Woo-hoo-hoo, right? Some of you are excited. Some of you are like, so? Most of you are excited, though. Okay, good, good. I am incredibly excited. I am incredibly expectant uh, of what God is wanting to do in us. I'm, I'm anticipating some incredible things probably more so in my life as I get to study it, but I pray in your life as I get to share it with you. But I'm also wanting you to know that I'm approaching it with a tad, tad bit of fear and trepidation. After 27 years of being a pastor, I'm finally studying through Romans. And it's not because it's not a fascinating, wonderful book. The only reason I'm a little bit fearful and, and have that bit of trepidation in it is simply because Romans is so deep. It is a deep theological study in what the gospel is all about. And I am very excited to learn more about what the gospel is all about, but I'm, I'm a little concerned that I, I, I want to be able to study it and I want to be able to communicate it as clearly as possible and that's where a little bit of that fear and trepidation comes in. So I would appreciate and invite and ask for, maybe even plead for, your prayers as I study through Romans and present it to us. But even more so, I pray that you would pray that God would work in your heart, that he would, as, you're, as you were to come together, that we would together grow in our understanding of what the gospel of God is what righteousness of God is all about, what justification really does mean, right? And, and what sanctification is, what redemption is all about, because these are just a few of the terms that we're going to study. We're going to even study this idea of the depravity of mankind. Woo! Right? And we don't have to look very far, and we go, well, I know it's true, but what does that mean? What does it look like? And so these are some of the, just a little bit of the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to look at as we study through Romans. Romans has been called one of the greatest uh, uh, documents, uh, treatise on the gospel. Uh, in fact, it has been incredibly transformable to many, many people. Augustine he was saved when he read through Romans. And he got to this section in Romans where it says, uh, it says uh, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Later, Augustine would write, No further would I read, nor did I read, for instantly, as the sentence ended, by a light, as it were, or security infused into my heart, all the gloom of doubt vanished away. Martin Luther, the one who God used to begin the Protestant Reformation, was studying through Romans. And it was Romans that grabbed his heart and helped him understand that salvation is by grace alone. And it was, it was Romans that, that gripped him so much that he says, Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. 
The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, and wherefore, whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressible, sweet, in greater love. William Tyndale wrote of, of Romans, he says, I think it meet that every Christian not only know it by rote, but also exercise himself therein evermore continually, as with the daily bread of the soul. No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well, for the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And the more groundly it is searched, the preciouser things are found in it. Now you need to know, my spell check underlined a few of those words, like, that's not right. Kids, preciouser is not a real word. But I think we understand what William Tyndale was trying to say John Wesley, and I won't take time, but John Wesley was incredibly impacted by Romans. John Calvin came to the point where he says, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage opened up to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. And so, if you haven't done so, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Would you please turn there? Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then this morning, we're going to focus on verse one. <laughs> so I figure about 2025, we should be done with Romans. Not really. Romans chapter one, verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is the longest, and we're going to talk more about this next week, that is the longest introduction, salutation, if you will, that of any of Paul's letters. It is the longest. And so it's no wonder we're going to stop for a little while, and we're just going to look at it, because I believe what happens in verse, verses 1 through 7 is Paul is setting the stage for what comes next. You see, Romans is a book all about the gospel of God. I mean, that's what the focus is. And Paul's going to start in the first 11 chapters, and he's going to explain the gospel of God to us. And then the remaining chapters, 12 through 16, he's going to apply that to our lives. So what? So what that we know the gospel? Well, it has much to do with how we live our life in relationship, especially to one another. And so we're going to look at this thing. It's going to be good. It's going to be amazing. But today, we're just going to look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, and, and you'll notice in this, there is a, a three-part description. First, Paul. So it says Paul, which is very interesting, and I'm just going to give this as a tidbit. This is free today. Nowhere else, or, or most rather, of all of, of Paul's letters, he has a co-author. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas, um, that, that write together. In Romans, it's simply Paul, and I think there's a reason for that. The reason is this. Paul did not start the church in Rome. 
It started perhaps by someone who was from Rome, lived in Rome, was in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost and got saved at Pentecost and went back into, into Rome and, and started the church there. Paul did not start the church. He hasn't met these folks before. They've heard about him, but he doesn't even know what they've heard about him. So he clarifies a few things here in verse 1 about what is true of him. But he, 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 he alone is writing this thing. And he wants them to understand very clearly who he is. He wants them to get a grasp of, of, of who this is that is writing to them, not only because he hasn't met them before, but his plan is to go and visit them. And even beyond that, his plan is to get to know them and have Rome as a staging area for a missionary journey he longs to take that goes into Spain. So he, this is an important thing. He, he's, he's trying to help them understand, especially here in verse 1, who he is for further ministry with these people. But he uses this three-part description that I'm going to suggest this morning gives us four truths about the Apostle Paul. Four truths. There's a three-part description that will reveal to us four truths. He says he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Three descriptions that are there that give us four truths. And so what I'd like to do is take each one of these, and I'd like us to see the truth, right? So first he says he is a servant of Christ Jesus, a servant of Christ Jesus which I believe speaks of Paul's humility. This this shows us how Paul sees himself in light of Christ Jesus. In other words, he is a servant. That is to say, his master is Christ Jesus. Now, there are some who I read this uh, these last several weeks as I was studying and preparing. There are some who would say, well, Paul is using an honorary term here. He's kind of holding himself up as a servant of God, much like Moses or Joshua were called servants of God in the Old Testament, much like the prophets were known as servants of God, much like King David by God himself is called my servant. And so so some would say that he's holding himself up, that this is an honorary position. He wants them to know that like these Old Old Testament leaders, he too is a leader. My my problem with that is he's writing to people in Rome, mostly a Gentile church, who probably knows somewhat of the Old Testament, but they don't have that connection with it. So I believe instead what he's wanting them to do is understand what it means to be a slave according to what was going on there in the city of Rome. And did you know, as I studied this out, one in three people in Rome were servants, were slaves. One in three. It was a very, very common thing under the Roman Empire to have slaves. It was not looked down upon. Now, we have our history here in America that causes us to see slavery as a horrific thing, and certainly it is. But in this day in Rome, it was not. They considered it to be a normal thing. It was was simply what happened. One in three were slaves. And so the Apostle Paul is is using that terminology knowing that they're going to understand it in that way. And they're going to understand it in these two ways. Number one, they're going to recognize that Paul calling himself a servant of Christ Jesus means that Christ Jesus owns him. You see it? Owns him. See, in the Roman Empire, the way you acquired a slave was either to conquer them in battle, 
or to buy them outright, either to conquer them in battle, which, do you know what happened on the road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul? I would say he was conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to that, he had been one who was persecuting the church. He was persecuting followers of Jesus Christ, and he's on his way to Damascus, and the Lord meets him there in a very magnificent, brilliant way that I would say to you conquered him, blinded him, and the Lord spoke and said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul is on his face who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he's conquered there. So, yes, Jesus owns him. But also, Jesus has purchased him. Paul will tell other believers in other letters, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You have been bought with a price. Paul wants them to understand that by the death of Christ Jesus, he has been bought. So Christ owns him. But also, second in that idea of servanthood is this, Christ rules him. Paul wants to do nothing else but the will of God. He doesn't want to do his own thing. He doesn't want to do what Paul wants to do. He wants to do what the Lord wants him to do. He is ruled by Christ Jesus. He is a servant owned by him, ruled by him. And so Paul will say that he is a bondservant and not a man pleaser. The idea being he's a God pleaser. He's a, he's a Christ Jesus pleaser, and he wants to do the will of God. He will tell those who are Christians who are workers servants themselves and he says to them you do it as unto the lord as a bond servant of christ do it for his will for his glory and so so paul recognizes that they're going to see this statement a servant of christ jesus as one who is owned by christ jesus and one who is ruled by christ jesus but notice before we get off this statement Notice the way he puts those two names for Jesus together. It's Christ Jesus. You know, normally in other places, it's Jesus Christ. I mean, you look in the Gospels, and most of the Gospels, most of the other letters will say Jesus Christ. I believe Paul is very intentional in putting Christ first. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Here, Paul is emphasizing the fact that this Jesus is, is not just Jesus who is Messiah. He is the Messiah who is Jesus. Does that make sense? He's emphasizing Messiah. He's the one that was foretold in the Old Testament. He's the one that has come now. He is Messiah, the anointed one, the one we Jews have been waiting for. And he didn't bring in an earthly kingdom. He brought in something much, much better. He brings in a heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying, and that's the one I'm the servant of. That's what he's saying. Isn't that good? See, Paul recognizes he's owned by Christ He's ruled by Christ. Messiah is the one that he serves hard and full on. And so, so we understand his humility. It's not about me, Paul would say to us today. It's all about Messiah Jesus. It's all about him. And yet, in this three-part statement that he makes, there is this recognition not only of his humility, but secondly, of his authority. Because next, he says, he is called to be an apostle, an apostle. 
Now, I know there are some traditions today, religious traditions, that would say there are apostles today. I'm one that says, "Uh uh-uh. Now, you might define it a little differently, but if you're going to define apostle as it's spelled out in the scriptures, I'm one to tell you, no, there's not apostles today. This was a very select few of people. And in fact, I would tell you, you can look at the end of Acts chapter 1, and you would see there when the apostles, the 11 now, because Judas betrayed Jesus and went out and hung himself, when the 11 apostles are getting ready to replace Judas, they give this this requirement. Requirement number one, an apostle has had to witness the resurrected Jesus. They had, had, had to see the resurrected Jesus. And so Peter there says, let us choose somebody who's been with us and who can testify or be a witness of the resurrected Jesus, somebody who's seen the resurrected Jesus. But the second requirement of apostle is they must be personally appointed by Jesus himself. You remember Jesus in his earthly ministry? He had many, many followers, many people who were considered disciples. At one time, he sent 72 out. Remember that in the Gospels? But then there came a point when Jesus selected 12 of those disciples, and he called them to be apostles. He specifically called them to that task. I believe in going back to Acts chapter 1, when they're replacing Judas, I believe that call came when they cast lots. They trusted that the Lord was speaking in those lots, and, and, and that how he was, he was a Barabbas, uh, was it Barabbas? Not Barabbas, Bar something. Somebody look that up. Bar, Bar, holy cow, that's terrible. What kind of pastor am I? I don't even remember. It's, uh, it's, uh, Oh, sorry, it's not bar anything, it's Matthias. <laughs> Oops. You didn't, that was my test. See, you didn't catch me on that. You were following along. It was Matthias. Matthias replaced Judas. But nonetheless, apostle, two, two things had to happen. They had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus, and they had to have been personally selected by Jesus himself into that position. Guess what? Paul was an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's on that road, rather a little bit later, that that God tells Ananias who he sent. Now, Ananias is his name. It's not Bar something. It's Ananias. God sent Ananias to take care of Paul, and he tells Ananias this, I have selected him to be my messenger, which is the same idea of apostle, to, to, go, to, the, to go to the Gentiles and share the gospel with them. And, and so Paul was specifically called by God. Not many others are called by God. In fact, I would say today that's not an office. It's not a position anyone would hold today in the truest sense of the term. But Paul says, I was called to this. I was called to be an apostle. I was set up to be one of the apostles. And if you know anything about what the apostles did, you will recognize two things. Apostles were used by the Lord, yes, to share the gospel ministry and spread it, but to start churches and to write the New Testament, to start the churches. And so Paul in Ephesians 2.20 says that the church, the household of God, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
the foundation is already set. There's no more need to, to lay another foundation. And again, I say that's why I believe pro- apostles are, are no longer for today. But the foundation, uh, the church was started on the foundation of the apostles. But then the, if you look, the apostle Peter wrote the word of God. The apostle uh, uh, Matthew wrote. Um, uh, the apostles were used by God to write the New Testament. And so Paul is counting as one of those, which reveals his authority, does it not? He is an apostle. Here we have this, 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 this contrast. His humility, I'm a servant. And yet, his authority, I was called by God to be an apostle. What an incredible contrast we have here. But Paul is just revealing the truth about who he is. And he's telling us and these readers, the original readers, that what is coming in this book, what we get the opportunity to study is from God. It's authoritative. It's true. It's trustworthy because it's written by one who was called to be an apostle. So thirdly, Paul says, first of all, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. But then he says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. This is Paul's priority. If you were to ask Paul what his main concern in his missionary journeys and in visiting all the churches that he helped to start and started, if you were to ask him what his main priority in it all, what's his purpose, his whole purpose was to share the gospel of God, as he puts it here. The gospel of God. And what is amazing is you and I, as we get to study in Romans, we get to come to a deeper understanding, I hope, of what that gospel of God is. Because here's Paul, who has been set apart for the gospel of God, writing solely about the gospel of God. And so we get to study it together, and I'm, I'm very thrilled, I'm very excited. So the gospel, if you could put the gospel into a, a summary statement, we could look at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, here's what I continued to tell you, Corinthians, over and 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 over, are you getting it? And over and over and over again, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to well over 500 people, the resurrected Christ did. And so Paul says, this is the heart of the gospel. He's going to expand that for us in Romans, because otherwise we'd be done today, right? We, we, we'd get that. He's going to expand upon that. And, and, and what's interesting is, again, going back to his priority, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 2, he says this, and he was with them for 18 months. And he says, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know anything among you except Christ and him crucified, which means the gospel. He says, listen, I taught you the gospel. And then the next day, I taught you the gospel. And, and then the next day, I taught you the gospel. Why? Because Paul's priority is to share the good news about Jesus Christ. He, his, his whole reason for serving, for ministering, for being a part of what God has called him to do is to make sure people know and understand the good news about Jesus Christ. That is his priority. But notice he says he's been set apart for that. This is an interesting term to me. 
It's one that, that we see all believers are called to be set apart. It's, it's the heart of that word saint, set apart ones. And, and it really means, in, in this case that Paul is using it, it really means to be, to be separated from this group, but the, the positive side is for a purpose, for a reason. So you, 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 you're, you're taken out of this group and, and placed over here, but it's all for a purpose. It's all for, for doing something. And Paul says, I, I've been set apart. And, and what's amazing is if you read his letter to the Galatians in chapter 1, Paul says, I was set apart by God. Listen to this. Are you ready for this? Even before I was born. I was set apart by God for this gospel ministry even before I was born. Now, you know about the, the, the Paul when he was still called Saul, right? You know what he did. You recognize that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was the, the, the top dog. I mean, as he explains it in Philippians 3, he's this top Pharisee dude who, who has bragging rights because of all that he did and, and everything that he had accomplished. And, and, and as, a, as a Pharisee, he saw this church, this, this followers of Jesus, the way, as they called it initially, to be against what he believed to be true. And so he went out and persecuted the church. He nodded. He gave approval when the first Christian martyr was stoned to death. He gave a, Paul was right there giving approval, and he got, he got, uh, uh, he got uh, slips of paper that gave him the, the ability to go in and find Christians and take them and, and haul them back so they could be persecuted and hurt and hit and all the other things. Paul was a miserable man and served against Christ Jesus at first. And yet, even before I was born, Paul says... I was set apart for this ministry. I was set apart for the gospel of God. Allow that to blow your mind for a moment. And allow it to touch your heart. Because I want to tell you right now, if the Apostle Paul could have been set apart for a specific ministry even before he was born, I'm going to suggest that's true of each one of us. I don't care what your past is like. I don't care how bad you have been. I don't even care how bad you've been just this morning. And some wives are nudging their husbands, right? God, I believe, has you here for a purpose. And I believe part of the purpose in you being here this morning is to hear this. He wants you to know you've been set apart to do something for him. It may not be specifically what Paul was called to do, but I would submit to you, you've been set apart. You've been called for something by God. Some of you here may not have put your trust in Christ yet. Some of you maybe are not followers of Jesus yet. I want to tell you, that does not mean he has not separated you, set you apart from before you were born. Some of you might say, but I'm a new believer. I'm a new Christian. I don't know much. I don't know what to do. I can tell you, you know what? If he's called you to it, he will equip you for it. And so I want you to understand today, like the Apostle Paul, I believe there are many, if not all of us, have been set apart by God to do something. No matter what your past has been, 
I believe it full, wholeheartedly. And so, so we see this, but I got to get to my fourth, fourth point here, and we're going to touch upon that as we close. But listen, here's the fourth point. I want you to see in all this, Paul's agency, Paul's source in all of this is God. Here's an amazing thing. If you look at verse 1, you recognize that Paul is the passive person here, right? It is Christ Jesus who is his master. He's just a servant. It is, it is God who has called him to be an apostle. He was just on that road going to terrorize more Christians, it was, it was God who set him apart even before he was born. He had nothing to do with it. And what you need to understand is not just in verse 1, but through this whole book, underlining everything in all things and through all things is God. And so the Apostle Paul will say in chapter 11, i got to get there, I'm getting excited, verse 36, and he will say this, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. He recognizes that behind everything is God. God is at work. God is at work. Certainly Paul has been very aggressive in fulfilling his calling, but it was God who called him in the first place. Certainly it was the Apostle Paul who was aggressive in making sure the Gentiles especially knew the gospel, but it was God who, who set him apart from before he was born. It was God who was at work in the Apostle Paul's life and who did all these things for him. And, and I want you to know that this whole book is that way. In fact, I want to read to you a commentator, who Leon Morris, who says this. I think he puts it well. He says, God is the most important word in this epistle. Romans is a book about God. No topic is treated with anything like the frequency of God. Everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. In our concern to understand what the apostle is saying about righteousness, justification, and the like, we ought not to overlook his tremendous concentration on God. There is nothing like it elsewhere. And so we get the privilege of discovering this great in this great uh, statement or this great treatise about the good news of God that it is the Lord who alone has acted on our behalf. It is the Lord who, in His righteousness, not only dealt with our sins at the cross of Jesus Christ, but by that same cross made it possible that when we in faith come to Him, we are made, we are given rather His righteousness. I'm blown away by that. Not only did He take care of our sin because of His righteousness at the cross, but because of the cross, when we come to faith in Him, we can be given His very righteousness. <laughs> Are you excited to read this thing or what? Oh, okay. I guess I'm the only one. Maybe me and Leslie. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be good. See, that's what we get to learn about. And so why does this all matter? First of all, why is this important? It is Paul who is introducing himself in verse 1. Again, these readers, they don't know him. He, he's letting them know who he is. He's humble. He's a servant. And yet he's got authority. He's an apostle. And he's been set apart by God to this, to this ministry of sharing the gospel. He, uh, therefore, what he is writing is authoritative. He is an apostle. 
This is something they need to recognize as truth. This is, this is an apostle speaking or writing. Therefore, it is their, uh, something that they need to listen to. Thirdly, this is the true gospel. Now, you need to understand, and we're going to come up across it in this book. There were many different people, many different sects, many different religions that were spreading a false gospel. Paul is letting them know, no, 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 no. I've been set apart to the gospel. <laughs> I got the goods on the gospel. If you want to know about the gospel, you listen to me. So this is the true gospel of God. And then fourthly, I want us to follow his example. Paul serves as an example. And so I want to ask you these questions this morning. As we come to communion, as we come before this this table where the, the bread represents the body of Christ that was put on that cross, the, the cup representing the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. As we come and we remember the cross of Jesus Christ, i got to ask you this, who's your master today? I mean, can you say, I am a servant of Messiah Jesus? Or maybe, if you were honest, you'd say, I'm a servant of money, or I'm a servant of material possessions, or I'm a servant of, in my wife's case, my good looks, or I'm a servant of whatever. Can you honestly come and say, Christ is my master. He owns me and he rules me. I am his completely, 100%, and whatever he wants me to do, that's what I want to do. Can you say that today? I I pray that you can, but maybe as we come to communion, it's an opportunity for you just to go, oh God, (laughs) oh Lord, I, I want that to be true of me. I want to be able to honestly say I am your servant, that you own me and rule me, but today I have to confess that may not be totally true. Maybe before we come to communion, you just need to tell the Lord honestly and and, and seek him out in that. But secondly, do do you honestly believe that he has called you to a ministry? Because I do especially if you know Christ Jesus as your Savior. You are a part of the body. You are a vital part of the body of Christ. You serve as a functioning member, and if you don't function, it's like my eye's not working. It doesn't happen. It's no good. So you, you you need to understand that if you know Christ, you have been called by Him to a ministry. Again, it might not be to apostleship. In fact, I would say to you it's not. But certainly he has called you to something. And so maybe your question as you come to communion is, have I really lived that out in my life? Do I even know what my calling is? Do I even know what he, he has created me to do and to, to be in the, in the church family? Maybe as we come to communion, you just need to ask the Lord that and, and listen for him to speak. Thirdly, I would say to you that you are set apart, especially if you're in Christ Jesus. You've been set apart for something. You, you, you've not only been called, but, but, but God is, has, is, 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 is setting you apart to do something. I believe it. And I, again, 
I do not believe that depends upon how good you are. (laughs) It really only depends on whether you trust in the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so maybe today what God is calling you to is to put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today all he's saying is, listen, before you were born, I knew this moment was going to happen. Even before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, I knew you were going to be at Cornerstone Church on this Sunday, and I knew you were going to hear the gospel, and I knew that you were going to come to saving faith in Christ. I knew that you were going to say, I am a sinner. I repent of that sin, and I turn to Jesus as the only one who can save me, forgive me, and give me the hope, the certainty, the assurance of heaven. Will you do that today? I wouldn't doubt it if there's many in this place that he is, he is set apart for that, even this morning. And it's simply saying this in the quietness of your own heart. Lord God, I admit that I am a sinner separated from you. And I want to turn away from those sins. And I want to turn to you, believing that Jesus died on the cross for those sins. That he paid the debt He paid the penalty for those sins, that sin, and that he rose again on the third day. And I come to you in faith. I come to you trusting that what he did on that cross took away my sin. And I put my faith, my full trust in you today. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know whether you just need to work on being more of a servant of Christ Jesus, whether you need to work on living out your calling, or whether maybe today is the day that you will put your faith and trust in Jesus. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to ask for us to bow our heads and take a moment of silent prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do whatever you need to do with the Lord right now as we're silent. And then those men and women that have been selected to serve the communion, would you come forward during this time? Let's pray.